Hello and welcome to the 384th episode of the Crate and Crowbar, a podcast not only about PC gaming, it's about gaming and all kinds of things. Uh, on the date that we're recording this, it is uh, Thursday the 28th of October. I'm Alex Wilshire and tonight I'm joined by Marsh Davies. Hello. Hello, Marsh. Hey, uh, you've got some news. I do, yes. You've done a thing. You've done a thing. I did a thing. It wasn't a PC gaming thing, but it was a gaming thing. And uh, under the new rules, under the new regime, it's no longer illegal. You no longer get put in prison for mentioning games. That's why, that's why you don't live in the UK anymore. You had to be, yeah. <laughs> we, we ran you out of this country. Yeah, I had to escape the jurisdiction so my crimes <laughs> would go unpunished. Um, I uh, released a standalone role-playing mini campaign uh, called Teeth, colon, Stranger and Stranger. So is it about some strange teeth? Yeah, and not about colons. That was an uh, indication of the grammar used. <laughs> Just teeth, stranger and stranger. It's part of our, our ongoing teeth universe of role-playing <laughs> products. Um, <laughs> you make it sound so good. I know. Everybody loves a product. Uh, you play a bunch of um, bumpkins, basically, just mm. fucking pig-ignorant yokel motherfuckers, which is why uh, when you play-tested it, you came so naturally to the role, <laughs> Alex. I mean, I, I, I could barely tell uh, the difference between it and my normal life. <laughs> well, yes, especially as the the, uh, the center point of it is that you um, you horribly, horribly mutate uh, into some cursed monstrosity as you travel a benighted corner of 18th century England in the hopes of finding something to fix your um, your village and save it from a monster. And that is that is a, a tale told straight from your own experience. <laughs> it just keeps happening to me every place I go. <laughs> Like the littlest hobo of 18th century yokels. That's what I am. Well, actually, I described it on Twitter as last of the summer wine meets annihilation. (laughs) (laughs) See, that that is basically it. Like It it is weird stuff happening on the Yorkshire Yorkshire Moors. I can uh, confirm that uh, Stranger and Stranger, the prototype was really good. Um, We, uh, a small band of of yokels, um, succeeded in... uh, dealing with no we didn't we did not succeed in dealing with the monster and but it was good even though and um uh we had some weird adventures on the way i think what did i get i did i i got the mutation so as you go along you get mutations don't you and i got a mutation which which no you got you got a you got a mutation where you had to speak like a baby Uh, i didn't but somebody did we've actually removed that uh, or oh. toned it down. Okay. We thought it was <laughs> the yeah. The mutation was called baby, and you had to refer to yourself in the third person as baby. And um, we felt it was a bit too much of an imp- imp- imposition on on a on a character <laughs> who might have already had some other aspirations to role playing, and then suddenly get uh, hijacked. Basically, it did undermine um, everything that Dan did. In the game yeah, from that point on. Yeah. Uh, well, we still have some form of it, so you you, uh, you begin to de-age worryingly and uh, need milk at regular <laughs> intervals. <laughs> but um, otherwise, it doesn't Im- Im- you know impose too much of a burden on your your role playing character. But the yeah, the idea is that you sort of you lean into these mutations and you uh, uh, you think about how how your character might might react to suddenly growing. Uh, you know, horrendous neck finger, or you know, having their limbs fused together into leathery lumps, and uh, you know, or have a, a rasping cavern within your belly that can suck in an entire horse. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
yeah, maybe not terribly well balanced, but it's a lot of fun. And it's the um, can I just talk, say a bit about exactly what this is and why 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 we did it at all? Um, mm. And the, so we've released this is the third standalone module we've released in um, sort of in the run up to launching this full RPG setting called Teeth. And the idea behind it was to sort of slowly introduce the rules of uh, the setting, which is based on uh, the Forged in the Dark rule set. Um, and we wanted to introduce those across a series of games that would get steadily more sort of in-depth as you go. So the first one released was called Knight of the Hogmen. This, I keep on referring to we. This is myself and Jim Rossignol, I should clarify. Um, but in Knight of the Hogmen, it was this very kind of pick-up-and-play, very rapid-fire uh, adventure. And you sort of get barreled through this, a series of gruesome choices, basically, as you flee a, a tidal wave of mutant pigs. Um, and I think... You know, experienced role players would probably get some chuckles out of it, but really, it was meant so that you could drop it in the lap of somebody who'd never role played before or never played anything other than D and D before, and they would get up to speed and have a good time with it pretty quickly. And the second one was Blood Cotillion, which uh, is a bit more complicated. It sort of it plays a bit like a sort of Dishonored level um, set in a, a Jane Austen spoof, uh, in that you're all assassins and you're disguised as young noble ladies on the hunt for husbands and you've infiltrated this society ball to root out the cultists who are holding it who are hosting it and it's it's more elaborate and it's more free form than hogmen but it is like like when i say dishonored i mean that i was like consciously trying to replicate that sort of rich dense singular environment you get in those games or in hitman mm. where you've You've got a, a bunch of objectives that you complete in any manner you see fit, and you, there's like the environment is seeded with loads of juicy opportunities and details and things that might hinder or help you. But it's still in this kind of contained space and takes place across a limited expanse of time. Um, and and so yeah. with the third one, we wanted to open it up much more and make it much more of a kind of recognizable uh, RPG campaign. Um, so that you're, you know, you're following like a quest line across a series of sessions, um, and you have all the kind of greater freedoms that that implies. Um, but one of the things that that means is that you need um, and gives us the opportunity to introduce rules for, say, like phases of play and downtime, and you need mechanics that allow you to recover from injury or stress. Um, and and we, you know, we're in, all of these things will be things that you see in the in the later game as well. Um, and so this is sort of like designed to onboard you with all of those things by giving you this, this sort of introduction, which is uh, shows you all of these things in turn and then sets you free, essentially, um, to, to, to mutate horribly. And by the, you know, by the end of it yeah. all, I think we've, we have actually ended up building this sort of neat runway that somebody could use to onboard completely new players or, you know, D&D uh, &D players. Um, to the Forged in the Dark rule set that we've, we're going with. Um, and I think that's useful. Uh, partly I, because I don't know how you feel about this because you've played a lot of D&D &D as well. And um, I, I do love D&D &D, and it's absolutely massive as a phenomenon. Um, and, but it is this very crunchy, quite number-heavy, complicated, weighty thing. And I think D&D &D players like just stick kind of religiously with D&D &D because they think there'll be this equivalent cost 
to learning other systems. And it isn't necessarily like mm. the Forged in the Dark rule set is really extraordinarily lightweight by comparison. And it offers a very different kind of role playing to D&D, which is sort of like more freeform, it's faster, it's more interested in the fun of it than a, in a simulation of, you know, what happens when a plus five scimitar hits a, you know, level two chainmail pauldron or whatever. And, and and I like that sort of crunchy granular stuff. But I think um, if you de-emphasize that simulatory stuff, you you open up to a whole new world of sort of much more lively and engaged and narrative-led role-playing. Um, and I think uh, it might, might not be for you, but people who've only played D&D are definitely missing out on that. And I think, um, you know, this is our games are a great place to start, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, Forge of the Dark is a sort of a really... I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed um, the game that kind of the, the Forge in the Dark system was forged in uh, Blades in Blades in the Dark, and Blades in the Dark. You know, it. I think that the, the, a D and D player would probably be completely flummoxed by the fact that a session is made up of two fundamental phases: downtime, which is completely player led, and the player says, "I'm going to go to the pub. I'm going to get really drunk, and that's going to." sort out various stats of mine mm. or, you know but or and then the other phase is uh doing a heist or a robbery or a murder or you know it could be any wonder a number of nefarious things um but the lead up to the heist uh is purely is like this um uh you know what's your plan for getting in and you just say the plan and the dm just decides whether you know is, is this it, it, does this sound hard or does this sound easy? Roll a dice and then, you know, were you successful or were there problems? And and I think that D&D players might be very confused about the fact that they didn't lead into this, into the kind of the kickoff of the, of the main dish. And, um, but that kind of idea of just cutting out any kind of just uh, preamble or, um, or or anything that isn't just the fun mm. bit. <laughs> so, you know, for instance, you can say, hey, I wanna I wanna kill this guy. Okay, you can you can do this in one one role, if you like. You know, as long as you can give a good enough uh, method of killing this person with with credible tools that you have to hand, roll that dice, you're as successful, or you were successful and bad things also happened. And that's basically Everything is successful in the game as well. And I think that these are all things that D&D players would be really kind of like, oh, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and it's too free. And why is everything going so well and also so badly all the time? Um, it's the kind of system that it allows disaster to happen mm. at all times. And there's, and uh, like, you know, I think talk, going into video game stuff, like you and I, Marsh, have had lots of conversations about, you know, wouldn't it be so good if this stealth game, particularly stealth games, uh, could support things going wrong mm. better so you don't always want to reload? Um, and Blades in the Dark, its solutions don't map to video games at all, but it addresses the same problem of how do you, how do you make players think on their feet all the time, um, make them face disaster, but always keep them feeling powerful always keep them feeling engaged and always feeling keep them feeling in hopeful yeah and th like and that is like everything that i want to be solved with mm. with um 
with stealth games, strategy games, all these I did, video games. I did spend some time um, trying to work out how you would apply something like um, the Forged in the Dark dice rolls to um, turn-based strategy games. Because I, uh, like, you, you, like you say, the, the, the thing about those dice rolls is that it's not about sort of like dealing damage above an armor level. It, it, it is kind of you're rolling to see uh, your success or failure using a dice pool. And you have outright success if you could roll a six and then four to five success, but with a complication and then one to three as various yeah. levels of disaster. But that, that with a complication yeah. is such a beautiful kind of elegant idea because it, it builds, you know, how they talk about the success of um, improvisational comedy is, is to go, yes, and, you know, that's the, what the dramatists yeah, yeah, yeah. always bang on about. And that is yes, and, but as a kind of formalized mechanic, because not only have you succeeded, but then there's this other thing which creates, uh, which makes the situation continuously dynamic. Like everything is always shifting and changing and there are new things to react to. There's always going to be new prompts from the GM that will, you, you're never going to be just in a slugfest with somebody else, you know, dealing a bit of damage. It's their turn. They deal a bit of damage to you. Who can win the maths in the long term? It's never that. It's always shifting. Although if you can... If you want to, you can have that scenario though. And like that's like mm. the kind of the hallmark of the flexibility of the system. So you could have a huge sort of boss. Oh yeah, you can have clocks which are you could stretch it out. Yeah. And you could model all that if you want to. But by and large, if you're if you're fighting grunts, like, you know, do sort them out. Yep, sorted. Right. On to the next. Mm. It's fun, fun, fun. Yeah. It's good. And yeah, and it's like and that means that you can have these um, mutations, which super complicate things, <laughs> in um, and but also offer op opportunities. I seem to remember that one of our party uh, gained like a hole in their mm. chest, and um, and then they used the hole in their chest to carry something, hide something. Yeah, I, I think we stored equipment in there but for like, a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, of course. Why the hell not? But yeah, um, it just means that that um, everything can be really ramped up and ridiculous um, without it ever feeling out of mm. control and, uh, you know, or kind of chaotic. It's chaotic in the best way. It's sort of chaotic in a, in a way that you can steer and, and enjoy. And if that sounds good to you, then uh, you can buy it. You can buy the latest one for a mere $10 on itch. Uh, or you can buy previous one for a reduced price of merely three dollars fifty on a on a halloween sale and the first game hogman is actually free so you can just check it out play it yeah and what 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 uh, marsh isn't also uh, indicating is the fact that it is uh lush with his uh disgusting art it's lovely it really is looks real Thanks, good you'd never think that it was made by such people as Marsh and Jim, you'd think that it was made by proper people. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have you been playing, Alex? Um, well, I wanted to tell you something first about something I came across, and uh, this has been hitting the news because it's just so ridiculous and yet so just real. It also uh, carries on the conversation that um, Chris and I had in the last game pod uh, mm. a couple of weeks ago about um, because uh, Timothy Chalamet, a uh, a famous man who I'd not heard of before Chris said that he was filming uh, Wonka in, um, in uh, our fair city of Bath. Oh, yeah. um, uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, is uh, 
a revelation has come forth about Timothy Chalamet's questionable gaming past um, because it's come to light um, uh, as identified by various um, uh, fan Instagram uh, accounts that Timothy Chalamet had an Xbox 360 modding uh, YouTube <laughs> channel when he was in his early teens. See, I saw uh, a tweet about this, but I assumed it was nonsense. <laughs> is this true, is it? It got confirmed. It is it is completely true. It's been confirmed. Somebody asked him in a press junket, presumably for, for June. It was definitely for June. So man, like, he's having to be all serious being Paul Atreides. And like, yeah, so um, <laughs> did you have a YouTube channel? Yes, he did. He confirmed it completely. Uh, he said that he made $30 because he was selling them as well. Uh, I, I want to give you a quote um, from his first video uh, could I, in which he showed off uh, his um, Red Tiger Xbox 360 controller. It's this grotesque uh, controller with a kind of um, black and red striped tiger pattern that he's painted on it. Uh, the previous day and then was to sell on to a client, presumably a friend, the next day. But he, he covered it. Anyway, at the start of his video, uh, Timothy Chalamet, uh, one of the most hotly uh, uh, hotly uh, anticipated, wanted, hot fan, hot, hot, <laughs> hot actors at the moment, said, what's good, YouTube? This is modded controller 360 with the controller of the week. Here's Red Tiger. Started yesterday, finished it today. It looks nice. It looks sexy. I love. I love that. I think that, that I do. I mean, there's lots to to, to be horrified about the fact that um, growing up today is 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 horrifically public. Um, but it's also rather wonderful that somebody who's hit the public consciousness in in a way that even I have become aware of them uh, within the last two weeks <laughs> um, uh, uh, has had this kind of. This, this this shameful upbringing um, and this interest in modding 360 controllers, I think it's fucking marvellous. And I'm, I'm, I, have, I have I have so much respect for him. Wow, you really can't escape your past on the internet, can you? How was he? So how was he identified initially? Was he was, was his face in the oh. videos? Or uh, you sort of, but you can't. You can see a resemblance with um, acting reels and and things that he's acted in at the time. I think he was in adverts and stuff at that age. Um, there's, a, there's a resemblance, but you couldn't prove it. Um, there's this amazing Vice uh, article, which we'll, um, we'll link to in the show notes, uh, which in which they do lots of comparing uh, mats on the floor in his gaming room and kind of scars on his, his knuckles <laughs> and things like that between this source and that source and you know they, they're fairly sure and you know with the kicker at the end that you know the couple of days later or a few hours after the article went up it was fully kind of fully confirmed kind of in, in an interview it's just a it's this most ridiculous piece of kind of um uh sleuthing that, that is so, so necessary as well so he was presumably picked for the role of june because he had a lot of experience putting his hand into boxes that's good. Yes, I, there's probably some better pun in there, but I can't. I can't come up with it. Probably it. is. <laughs> I saw Dune. Lots of people have seen Dune. We're going to talk about Dune. Yeah. On a podcast coming to you soon. What, what would you score it out of fourteen before that? Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to give away. I'm not going to give away the goods, Alex. Not yet. All right. Tell me. Oh, all right, fine. Fine. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Fine. Um. Uh. You will though. Please tell me what you've been playing. 
Oh, okay. Oh, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I've been playing Inscription. Inscription. Yeah. That's the weird card game. It I is. I played a bit of that. What did you make of the little bit that you played, Alex? So I, I've played maybe maybe 45 minutes or so, and it was feeling incredibly promising. Mm-hmm. I played, I played um, and I've forgotten his name. Oh, Daniel God, Mullins? I've forgotten his name. Daniel Mullins. I played a couple of his games before. I played Pony, the Pony one. Mm, Pony Island. Pony Island. And I played um, one where it's sort of side on and you're in this kind of hotel. Don't remember that and, one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But it, it, so Pony Express. Oh, Pony <laughs> Island. The Pony one. Yes. Uh, was, you know, kind of like, oh, out of the blue, kind of, whoa, here's a crazy thing. Hey, look at it. It's like all multi-texture and like we're delving into the very stuff of games and i don't know what's happening next the one set in the hotel-y thing uh that's side on um is very much i'm going to make a game that's about games because all of the characters you play are very much gaming characters um and i'm really really bored of games and it, you know in each of the, the game characters you kind of go into mm. their the game they came from and you play this kind of so one of them is like a sort of pixely kind of very pixel kind of platformer another one is uh a turn-based strategy um but like the story plays out across these things and you know and it's impressive that he's managed to make these sort of game types and they're all playable more or less but i'm really bored of the point of of, of using games to talk about stuff you know outside of the text to, that text would <laughs> be to be game i'm not making sense but you know, let's not let's not well, just mull over what games are. Anyway, inscription well, is feeling really you, promising. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind I kind of sympathise with you. I think um, my my sympathy for that stuff is quite uh, case by case. Like, uh, you, I don't mind games which are discursive of the medium of games. I don't mind games that are in some way kind That's of a very medium. elegant way of saying it. Why didn't you mince your words around like <laughs> I did? It's as if you're smarter and better at talking than me. Oh, Alex. Alex, <laughs> poor little bumpkin, littlest hobo. The uh, so I I don't mind that stuff per se, and I don't mind stuff that's metatextual. But I think I I think you and I probably share a little bit of antipathy about games which go. Oh, you remember JRPGs? This is a bit like a JRPG. Work JRPGs a bit shoddy in certain ways, and use that as a sort of way of excusing the fact that they are still the games of today just as shoddy <laughs> as yeah. the JRPGs they're referencing. I don't th- oh, when it, when reference is used as a way of sort of uh just parceling up stuff uh, and hanging a lampshade on on things that are kooky or 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 clumsy uh my my attention span uh drifts I have to say at that. Point. Yes. Um but and- the inscription seemed really tightly focused and that's what i was excited about while also having all this mad kind of where the fuck's it going next we better explain what this game actually is i do uh, yes okay um it's a creepy looking deck building battle in which you amass animal themed cards and you pit them against the deck of a stranger uh, who is shrouded in darkness and peers out of you from the dark with these googly eyes um 
And that that darkness and the table before you are contextualized as being physical objects within a spooky cabin. Um, and you are essentially being forced to play cards uh, under threat of death. Um, and you can get up from the table and you can walk around the cabin and around the cabin are these sort of puzzles which you can you know, interact with and solve uh, and they sort of affect the kind of deck that you can build. Um, the puzzles there are like, they're the sort of puzzles you get in, uh, in games like The Room, for example. Uh, I, th- I saw somebody on Twitter describe uh, Inscription as a card game uh, inside an escape room. And that is kind of, that's the setup uh, and that's the pitch. Um, and there's, because it is by Daniel Mullins, principally anyway, I think there's another collaborator at least who's involved. Um and just to sort of explain Pony Island, this pr- preceding game is sort of lo-fi arcade game, but you b- become aware that the game is being progressively corrupted by a malevolent force. And Inscription also sort of goes beyond the boundaries of its premise in that sort of metafictional way. Um, I, I won't spoil anything of the nature of that stuff, uh, but I will. I do want to talk about the mechanics of the initial card game uh, and the, that, that sort of context that it's, it's presented in. Um, and I, I I do actually like the game a lot. I I do have some sort of um, qualms with it, um, particularly as it gets to the stuff that I don't want to spoil. Um, and so that makes it very mm. difficult to criticize because I, I, um, I you know I, I can't tip my hand as to as to exactly why I I I, I find that stuff less impressive. Um, but the card game that it initially presents you with, uh, even though it is is ultimately superseded by the sort of larger meta fiction that it exists in is actually a really kind of robust card game in itself. Um, mm. and, uh, up to a point, that is. So the idea is that you uh, you play cards into a row of four spaces as you know per many card battlers, and then you know, the, the opponent places cards uh, in a row opposite. And your cards attack the opponent's cards in the row directly in front of them, and they have their own health pools. But if there's no card in front of them or they deal excess damage on top of the health of the opposing card, they deal damage to the opponent themselves. And this is represented... I don't know if this is unique in card battles, actually. I mean, you've played a lot more than I do, but it's it's represented by a, a weighing scale. Um, hmm. And it's a, I think it's just a brilliantly smart and intuitive analogy and i don't know why more card games haven't thought of it before but every time you damage the opponent weights are added to their side of the scale and every time they damage you weights are added to yours and Mm. overall you actually only need i think it's five clean points of damage to tip the scale completely and win and it's a really small margin uh, in which for success or loss to exist um uh, but i think it's an interesting design choice I, th- I think it's intended actually to restrict the sort of the. I mean, it obviously restricts the 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 length of the rounds, and it. Rest- but I think it's also designed to sort of restrict to some extent the strategic depth of that game, um, mm. as is like you know the the restriction to only four cards on the table. You can imagine if you had like eight cards, the number of strategic possibilities you would have would would suddenly become so much larger and you know if you had a, a larger amount of damage that you could take suddenly um it'd be it'd be a lot sort of uh richer it would have to obviously it'd have to rejig a lot of the rules but it would be kind of a much deeper game on the kind of scale that uh maybe magic the gathering is but they've made the choice not to be that and i think that's fine and interesting um mm. 
it makes it kind of a much more concise and pared down and precise game, I think. Um, but just to get into the sort of the mechanics of the cards a little bit, um, most cards cost something to play. And the resources are blood or bones. And the trick of the game is to figure out how to earn them by sacrificing the cards that are currently in play. Um, and the game tries to make you feel pretty bad about this because <laughs> essentially you're killing beautiful woodland animals. <laughs> um, and you do, you know, you, you, you're attempting to kill the, so you're playing cards in sequence to kill them in sequence in order to kind of maximize resources and play the best cards that deal the most damage or have particular effects, which will be advantageous in a given scenario. And at the, the start of a match, you dealt a few random cards from your deck and a squirrel card. And squirrels cost nothing to play. They don't attack at all. They only have one health point. So you can use them to soak up like a single point of incoming damage. But most of the time, what you're going to want to do with them is to kill them with your own hands, uh, to sacrifice them, to earn a single drop of blood that will then let you play something else. And... Uh, and also when they die, they also generate, uh, when anything dies, in fact, whether it's by sacrifice or because another card has killed it, it generates a bone. And the difference between these two resources is really interesting because you have bones, uh, bones just amass, basically, in a pool, um, but sacrifices can only be initiated when you have chosen the card that you want to play after you sacrificed it. So, for example, you have two squirrels on the board, uh, you can't just like kill them and bank the blood. You have to select the wolf card that you're going to play and then earn the necessary blood by stabbing the squirrels to death. And this is this is actually like a really significant and clever restraint and as a source of a, a lot of the tension in the game um, that you can only play most cards if you're willing to sacrifice cards that are currently in play. And then on the subsequent turn, you can pick a card from your deck or a squirrel card and add it to your hand. And that, the fact that it's so hard to choose often is is what is is really interesting about the game is that yeah. have i explained the basics yeah i mean the the other the other side is that you're you're painfully painfully limited by the the fact that you've only got four i mean as far as i mean i don't know if it changes later on but there's four slots in which you can place your cards so you're agonizing over i just need more space so i can put something down so i can sacrifice it because i don't want to sacrifice that one you know it's mm. the, those kind of horrible horrible questions that's right yeah i mean if you had more spaces to play you'd be throwing down sacrificial cheap cards all the time and that that choice would become a lot easier but because you're constrained you do have to kill cards that you that are really useful to you yeah. on the off and once you've killed that, yeah. killed a card it's gone as well like you don't you you don't get redraws it goes into a discard doesn't it and you yeah. get it back you do get it back for successive games and all of this yes. story yeah i should say that all of these card games are happening um on this table in front of this threatening presence but he's also uh sort of in a sort of interstitial level of game he has a map like an overworld map that you're you like a little model of you is traveling along and uh that that is also sort of like uh, the way that you progress that's that's sort of your run so it's, it is almost roguelike you have the the individual games themselves they exist within a sort of like roguelike run of uh of challenges which have you know which also deal you new cards and also throw bosses at you and other things and then you have this other layer of game which is sort of beyond the table but what's interesting uh so that's the that's the that's, that's like the the basics um 
That's the good news. And this is the game that I've been playing so far. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so on top of that, and this, this is where it becomes really interesting, is that the game allows you to create wildly imbalanced decks because, and not just using the, the base cards. One of the, the, the central mechanics of that sort of that um, mid-level game, the, the, the sort of roguelike run, is that you can uh, destroy cards and rip from them one of their powers and imbue another card with it. Um, and on top of that, you have these things called totems, which apply certain rules to your cards in a blanket way uh, on a map. And by combining these things, you can create these kind of really lavish uh, chain reactions, basically, which essentially break the game. <laughs> like um, I had a stink bug, uh, which I'd imbued with the deathless trait. Um, it cost me two bones to play. Uh, and I have a totem, which means that every time I play an insect card like the stink bug, I get another card in my hand, an ant, in fact. And as long as I could afford those two bones to play the stink bug initially, it meant that I could basically just endlessly sacrifice the stink bug, play an ant, then play the stink bug, sacrifice it, play an ant, play the stink bug, sacrifice it, until I had a full row of ants in in uh, on the table and ants uh, their attack power is equal to the number of ants on the board so i essentially you know four times four had an attack power of 16 and because i could infinitely and instantly replenish fallen ants and uh, the various other mechanics that uh, are thrown at you uh, the, the opponent can occasionally steal your cards and other things like this because ants individually are fairly weak it didn't really matter and so i was basically unstoppable for that run and powered through like the three later sections of the map in a really anticlimactic manner. Um, and that is like one of the less exploity builds <laughs> that you can create. <laughs> Though I, I mean, Tom Francis is, is not just a master of stealth, obviously, a master of cards as well. And he, he's described to me just things that sound crazy OP. And obviously, the reason that I like, I, mean, I like a good cheese and the fact that I could basically make my own out of parts is really fucking cool. But I don't know if that makes the card game good or whether all of that stuff is just in service to this meta level that you're you're reaching. Um, so is the game acknowledging, but this might be a spoiler, but, um, you know, so, so, so let's not talk about this, but is, is the game acknowledging you doing these exploitative uh, tactics and, you know, is it reveling in the fact that you become OP? Yes, yes, to some extent. And I think that it's good that it acknowledges it. Like, I mean, it also acknowledges it in reverse in that your opponent who's setting this challenge for you, this mysterious uh, menacing creature in the cabin, they are also cheating. And like that, I mean... Are they? They're not really cheating in the context of the game. They're introducing new rules, but you know the way it's contextualized uh, is that they are being unfair and cheating. And so it's kind of okay that you're 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 fucking them up in a similar kind of underhand way, and they're actually impressed by that as well. Um, and so I, th I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, that is cool. But but oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, at times, like I think that that stuff feels very exciting and at other times i feel like that is sometimes used in, as cover for mechanics that might not work 
if this was a separate card game or were imbalanced if it was a separate card game. Um, and it doesn't always explain itself very well, I think, and I think it tries to get away with that by being all mysterious and shit. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, eh, there's no real reason not to explain how overspill damage works, you know, properly. Um, and there's just some things that are later in the game which just feel very kind of anticlimactic or clumsy or fussy or opaque. And it's it's kind of hard to criticize this stuff because, as I've said, it exists in part of the games that uh, would be a spoiler even to kind of allude to. But um, the, the card, the base card game in, in Inscription is definitely the best part about it. And I, I found a lot less to like about the larger aims of the game. Mm. I think that it's um, not just the, the aims, but also... The execution, I think, is actually a bit shonky in in, in the in those later parts, um, to the extent that, like, say, a choice of presentational style just makes stuff illegible, and uh, you know, I mean, maybe you can second guess it by saying, oh, maybe this failure is uh, acceptable because it's housed within a meta narrative where the quality of the game is not necessarily the responsibility of the real life game designer, but within the fiction, <laughs> but you know. You know, I don't know how I can get away with that. Like, it's the JRPG thing again, where it's, you know, like, hey, remember JRPGs and how much they fucking suck? And you're like, yes, I hate them. Sorry. Um, and it's not quite as bad as that. But I think, you know, it it feels like Inscription wants it both ways. It wants you to engage with those mechanics of the card game on their own terms. And there is enough substance there to do that. But then when it fumbles or fluffs something... It, I don't feel like it gets away with distancing itself, you know, from those yeah. fuck ups with some arch metafictional device. Um, but I'm really interested to see where you feel it goes uh, and how you feel about the way it goes. And we'll have to talk <laughs> offline about that. Um, we'll do that. Because yeah. I think there is there's a value to um, just being the the delight and surprise of of a game which does unexpected things, you know. I think exactly. That's, that's yeah, good. and it's really good at hinting at that stuff without actually revealing the nature of it. I mean, you mm. kind of get a sense of it, I suppose. But yeah, like, where the hell is this going to go next? What have you been playing, Alex? Well, uh, I've also been playing. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what I've been playing, <laughs> or at least you know the name of the thing you've been playing, and you've read a description. Ah, uh, you've been playing Rift Wizard. A tough as nails fantasy roguelike. I don't know why I did it in that voice. It, it looks, it looks it a sounds, little bit. Then, uh, it sounds terrible. It looks a little bit hard, like hard work. <laughs> From just well, that's my <laughs> my prejudice is based on the screenshots. That there's absolutely no substance to that opinion whatsoever. <laughs> so it, it, I think that anyone anyone looking at the Steam page uh, for the Steam page for Rift Wizard um, could be. Uh, excused for wanting to run away from it because um yeah it's um you see the word roguelike and you see that it's pixel kind of graphics with kind of like these colored colorful kind of icon low res kind of characters and you think oh god it's like net hack or something like that and oh it's tough as nails oh christ it's really fucking great <laughs> it's really good <laughs> Um, and it's much better, I would say. It's it's basically a wizard, build your own wizard simulator. It's not a simulator of building a wizard. It is, you build a wizard and then you get to, to go take your wizard into a sim simulator in which you, you just beat up loads of monsters. 
<laughs> that's what you do. Um, it is, it's basically, uh, well, I'm sure we've talked about this game before on the pod, even though it is not a PC game, but now we're allowed to talk about it in more detail. Hoplite, you, you know Hoplite. Mm, much. I love that game. It's a lot like Hoplite, um, but a lot more chaotic um, in the sense that it's a turn-based, turn-based. Um, and every move, you know, you're thinking quite hard about what you're going to do on that move to to do as much damage as you can to do kill as much as you can in order just to fucking survive the next turn and then the next and the next. Um, but it doesn't have, it is not about balletic, elegant, sort of smart puzzle solving, which is what Heart of Light about, is about. Uh, Heart of Light, by the way, is um, uh, played out, plays out on the hex grid and you are a uh, ancient um, a, a Greek <laughs> warrior you have a shield with which you can bash enemies away you have a spear which you can either stab enemies you can kind of uh or you can throw it uh and to kill enemies and you on every level you get more and more enemies coming at you some of them are ranged some of them are melee some of them throw bombs at you and the sense you can also you can jump in the game in, uh, in it expending energy uh i think there's another move as well i can't remember <laughs> um but anyway every you feel like a real warrior it's incredible you kind of see the, the enemy in front of you think right i'm going to do a side side dodge a, across the enemy and that's going to kill them because you've used your spear as a sort of like stab across them um i'm then going to jump forward into another one and stab the enemy you've upgraded your thing your spear so that it now stabs through two enemies and they're two ranked behind them and then you're going to shield bash somebody out of uh, into the path of, an, of a bomb that's been put behind you and then you're going to throw your spear at someone else and you just think and you just could look back at what you just did and you think i feel fucking badass and it's just a turn-based thing and it's that hoplite is fucking awesome it's on um, android and ios and it is really good to, uh, and and uh, riff wizard even uses really similar sound effects and i'm sure the its creator um whose name is dylan white um is has has been inspired in some way with riff wizard but riff wizard is bananas <laughs> because uh you are a wizard and you are creating your wizards you're choosing all their spells your wizard spells uh from a, a menu of 135 different spells and that's across um 16 schools of magic so you're looking at kind of oh, arcane which is like sort of magic missile style things mm. fireballs lightning uh, raising things from the dead, um, uh, uh, poisoning stuff, all all the magics. And um, there are also skills you'll be putting on, which are sort of permanent effects that you're kind of, you know, that, that play out from turn to turn. Um, and there are the upgrades that you get at these kind of shrines and things that you'll visit along the way. And your object is to play, how many levels is it? Sort of 25 levels. And at the end of them, there's a bad bad wizard called Mordred and you're going to kill Mordred. I have not got to that level. I've got to about level 10 or 11 now and, um, and before dying. And uh, it's... Uh, it's some really interesting things about it. Um, so most roguelikes um, are based on the idea that the things that you'll do during a run are going to be um, 
at the mercy of what came up r randomly along the way. And if you're an experienced player, you'll just know the build you're going to go for. Oh, okay, I've been given this such and such upgrade. Okay, I'm going to do this build. Um, uh, but you're at the mercy of of that of of the seed that you're on for that for that run. In this one, all of the lots of things are consistent, so you can always just try out the same build over and over again if you want to. There are some elements that will steer you along a little bit. So um, one of the important things is that I mean the, the object of each level is just to kill everything, same as um, same as Hoplite. Um, once you've killed everything, there will be um, I think it's always three uh three experience point like sort of sp they're called it's basically um a, a currency for buying new spells uh and skills hmm. and um and you will have three rifts that you that will open and these rifts you mouse over it and you can see where they'll take you and you'll get a little sort of uh, rundown of the kinds of enemies that are on that level um the enemies you find on your level and uh any upgrades or special things that you'll find there too uh, and items you might find as well, mana potions, health potions, that kind of thing. So um, uh, and some of the shrines that you'll find along the way, um, so for example, a fire shrine, that will reduce the cost of all spells and um, fire-based spells and skills, which given that you're only picking up three, point, three kind of currency, three SP per level, means that you're going to be opening yourself to buying more stuff in the fire school of magic. So that might influence the kind of build you're going on, but not so much that you will kind of, you know, that, that, that by not taking advantage of the flame thing, that you're, you're, you're kind of at any particular disadvantage. Hmm. So you can try out the same thing over and over again. That was a danger for someone like me because <laughs> I, um, because I got right, I got really stuck into uh, trying to create lots of minions. Um, there are various ways of doing this. Um, the first build that I tried um, uh, involved uh, using Death Bolt. So uh, there are maybe about six spells which only cost one SP, and you start a run with one SP. Uh, a, a Fireball, Electric, you know, Lightning Bolt, and Death Bolt. And Death Bolt does damage um, if, if it kills an enemy. A living enemy it turns that enemy into a skeleton which has the enemy's uh health value and fights on for you and i thought you know those are the maths that i like because you're doing damage in order to gain things that will do more damage for me and also tank for me like take hits that would otherwise be you know distract enemies and that kind of thing mm. like there is nothing that, that obviously it's the best spell <laughs> so i went for it um Believe it or not, the game is well balanced, well balanced enough that that you know that my my back of the envelope mass did not really work out, and I kept dying. But the idea of just creating a build with lots of minions kind of started. To, and there are obviously there are loads of synergies and things between um, skills and things, uh, but I kept just finding that they just it was so difficult to to kill enough stuff to get enough skeletons that would last long enough. There are ways of um, upgrading their, you know, making sure that they have more um, more health or able to recoup health over turns. It wasn't really working. So then I tried another starter spell called Wolf. And this one just summons a wolf. Um, it's got more health and does more damage. Um, but spells have charges. And with Wolf, you only get 
12 charges, which means you only get to cast it 12 times um, before you need to recharge it by taking a mana potion. Mana potions recharge all your all your spells that you have um, in one draft. Um, so you and you most levels will have a mana potion. Sometimes you'll be lucky and get two, but mana potions are really precious because mm. they you know, without them you can't do a thing. Um and uh, wolf is kind of expensive. And obviously at the end of a, a level, um, all your wolves, you can leave them behind. So you're going to have oh, to shit. start again, you know, mm. uh, on the next level. So and I upgraded it. You can upgrade your, also spend SP on upgrading your spells. And, they're, you know, I got them pretty good. Wasn't really doing for me. And I, kept, I bought fireball just as a fill-in spell, just to kind of do damage when my wolves weren't behaving. It's a good stopgap, isn't it, a fireball? It's a stop. It Old good. reliable. And Fireball has splash damage. It's marvellous. It's wonderful, wonderful spell. But then I saw another... <laughs> You've summoned a wolf, Alex. I did, my own wolf. I'm sorry, everybody. That That's Roddy, uh, my Labrador... Uh, my, my, my rabbit, wolf. my retriever dog, my wolf dog. And he wants to go outside. He's been sleeping behind me all the way through the pod so far. But he's been roused. Um, uh yeah i saw this spell uh and the the interface um is actually like it looks really crude but it's got some really smart things on it because you've got 335 spells um uh it actually lets you um filter by by school of magic so you can very quickly just see all of the fire spells that are available to you at any time when you, so you just go into the character page and um and one of them is called flame gate and flame gate uh is sounds cool as fuck uh you trigger it you get four charges trigger it and then every fire spell that you cast from that point on summons a fire elemental and they will fight on your behalf it's a ranged pretty tough um minion and you can just spam out you can span out as many of them as you have fireballs um i didn't read the the small print (laughs) The, the first time i went into the level i realized that actually the flame gate effect only lasts for as long as you keep for as long as you you spend turns uh casting fire spells the the moment you move or take a do anything else move take a potion or anything like that it the effect ends so if you're out of position uh it will end if you because you need to move into position if you realize that you've haven't got enough charges left on your fireball you lose the effect Hmm. so you've got to trigger it at the right time but i had this amazing run where i just on level after level i was just able to create loads of fire elementals which just rampaged across the map uh for me and just dealt with stuff there are other wrinkles with it as well the the fire elementals uh before upgrading them only last nine turns which isn't very long at all um uh, but you can upgrade that you can nearly double that all the upgrades you know they are meaty upgrades you know you almost double their length you you double the amount of damage they do you double their range um but it's so it, you it feels great just to just to wreak fiery hell and be repaid with these tough enemies that fight on your behalf it's extremely good um that run ended after I misclicked, <laughs> I didn't. I've, I got to the end of a level, uh, and before picking up everything on the level that I needed, 
and selecting a, an, a rift because I'd run out of health potions and I didn't have many charges left. I needed mana potion. Before finding one of the rifts that did have a mana potion, I clicked accidentally on one of them and boom, went through it and ended up in a level filled with bat dragons. Uh, bat dragons uh, breathe bats at you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cones of bats, in fact, like you imagine a kind of you know sort of triangle coming out from from their their cell <laughs> sort of thing of bats, which would be quite good for what I had because I've got this fireball which did huge splash damage. I could just finish them off in one go, but you know they're just coming at me, and I was just using up and using up and using up my charges, and it was an ignoble death, and I died. But um, it's just been like that every time there. It's this kind of game where you're browsing the spell list and then you see, oh, I've just seen a shrine that has such and such an effect. And, you know, like lightning and chaos and by, 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 or like a lightning and dark spell. And by doing that, then I get this effect. And you just start building builds in your head and you just want to try it and you want to try it, you want to try it. Mm -hmm. And because you can get to that point quite easily, you know, because, because the spells that, you're, that are available to you, you know, you have free access and you always get your three SP if you survive a level. All you've got to do is just survive levels and you can get to the point that you want to with a build to experiment and try out something new. And um, it's, is it one it's of those, a really good game. Is it one of those sort of modular uh, roguelikes where even the enemies have the same sort of spells as you? Um, yes. Well, they're firing, they're firing from the same schools. Um, can so you aspire to the bat cone? <laughs> I haven't seen anything that fires bats, but I think there should, probably should be. There Damn may right. be. There might. There might well be. It's very interesting, isn't it? You'd be in the nature school, I reckon, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. mostly poison stuff. Oh, there's a really nice paper idea. Well, I mean, technically, it's, one. it's 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 like fire breathing. So maybe it's in the fire school, but the the fire is bats. There are some spells where you get to summon dragons as well. Maybe there is a bat dragon among them. Because there are all these upgrades that I've never kind of really browsed because I haven't bought them yet. Because obviously the spells, you know, there are late late game spells which which cost loads and loads of SP. It's really fun, and it's just so um, you know, from this hard of nails, hard as nails kind of roguelike description. Uh, it is hard to, uh, hard as nails, and it is a roguelike, but it's something much more interesting than that might sound. Um, yeah, I really recommend it. It's um, it's a lot of fun, and the the creator is, uh, it's sort of just piling more and more um spells into it. With the it it and I read an interesting post that he put on 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 Steam that he is concerned that the game will become completely terrifying to any new player because <laughs> they spell open the spell book and you know three hundred spells like oh, where the hell do you start? Yeah, I and mean, even now, like you know, as a new, it is overwhelming. But um, but because it actually unfurls quite a little bit more uh, um, sort of accessibly than that, because you you can only afford uh, one SP spells at the start, and for the you're only going to get for the first two two levels you're going to get a maximum of six SP. That's the number of options are actually fairly low at that point, and um, and you're thinking about lots of things. You know, it's it's, it's, crun it's crunchy decisions like. You know, it is undeniably a good idea to have lots of different spells because one, it means that your mana potions are going to go further because this mana potion uh, recharges all your spells. Mm. Also, it's good 
you know you're you're increasingly up up against enemies which will do which are completely resistant to um to any given type of uh of 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 school of magic but because you know but or do you spend your sp on uh upgrading what you've already got and making it much more effective later in the game you need to do a lot of damage because you've got very powerful enemies coming at you um, or do you kind of wait out like and hope to get some kind of um, one of the special shrine effects, which kind of which are like skills but only available through shrines? It's really good. Hmm. I really recommend it. That sounds really cool. I mean, uh, I, I I always wonder about uh, especially hard roguelike games. Um, I, I feel this way about the survival genre as well, where that those mechanics they can they can breed a certain laziness. I think because as a designer, you're absolved yeah. of uh, actually having um, like power scaling that works. You're absolved of having a kind of sensible escalation towards some sort of end game. You just have to make things harder and make the players' numbers go down until the game yeah. stops. Um, and so when when you get a, a roguelike which really sings, I think that is. Um, you know that's that's the sign of a good design chops because I think it can be a crutch, yeah. As well, no, I agree. When you play this, do you tend to so like pursue a single strategy per run, or does the kind of restriction on charges mean that you have to swap and completely rebuild halfway through? I've died before <laughs> getting to the, that point, you know, but before any. I mean, usually you've you've really bought into a build. You know, if if you've got uh, if you've bought sort of two or three spells in the early game which don't really work together that well, you're probably not going to survive. You know, to the point where you can afford to 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 try completely different things out. And um, if you haven't upgraded your spells, you, they're probably not going to be powerful enough to take into later levels anyway. Um, it doesn't I mean it doesn't feel like that sort of artificial ramping up of power just to kind of balance out your raising your rising power mm. um, it definitely feels a more it feels more like the stakes are getting higher instead which is a subtly different feeling but a more exciting one than simply better better rain in the power mm. um, you know the, the inflation it, it feels just more exciting and a lot of the a lot of the actual extra damage danger is actually down to, oh shit! You know they're they're um, immune to dark, so I I can't do that tactic that I was using before, mm-hmm. or they can do this kind of damage, which you know which I hadn't really figured out about before this point. It's 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 more interesting than that. Whether it's actually a well balanced game, I couldn't tell you at this point. <laughs> what I what I know is that. Um, there are definite builds that have, you know, which are by far the best thing to go for, which I think as a designer, I'd be worried about and probably be design, you know, putting new spells in to try to counteract or to um, to add different options or, you know, that, that might sort of supersede them or, or um, add to the, to the choices you get. Um, but I haven't got to that point yet. And I don't really want to follow any of the guides anyway. But I just know that, that mm. there are some that kind of are advised. Um, but yeah, it, at the moment, like I'm about, I'm about sort of maybe six or seven hours of in you know of just playing around with it. It's I'm just having 
sort of a lot of fun just trying out stuff. And I don't think I've really even decided to have a proper run at anything yet. It's just sort of like, can I make my fireball and um, flame gate combo? Can I really make good on it? Mm. And I'll always mess up. And like, I've always felt that it's been my fault, which is amazing, actually. You know, I think for a game of the amount of chaos this game like loves to throw at you, um, you know, it's usually just been me being really dumb, misclicking (laughs) or sort of... uh, sort of kicking off an effect which and then decide realizing it was the wrong timing you know it's those kinds of things or not thinking about it or not watching my health and that kind of thing yeah super good hmm. what kind Drift of rift wizard what uh what state is it in is it early access technically or is it fully oh, out that's a question the, it sounds like it's in perpetual development yeah, I think it's more. It's better seen as a as a perpetual development game, and it's ab- absolutely playable. I think that I think that the developer is kind of quite pleased with where it is now, and is just trying to see how it might be given additional life through you know more updates. Mm, intriguing. Mm. Give me those back cones. That's what I want. Back cones. We all need back cones. Should we end it there? Should we go away? Yeah. Should we crawl onto our beds? I suppose we ought to. The dog seems to, he might do a wee-wee behind me if I don't, if we don't stop the pod now. That's, um, that's all we've got for this pod. Um, can we reveal what our, um, next off pod is yet, Marsh? Well, I've sort of, I've sort of given the game away there a you bit, did, haven't didn't I? You? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be next week. Dune. Dune pod. Um, uh. Because the gaming pod is now fortnightly. Um, but yeah, look out for that. Um, we'll return with more gaming insights in two weeks' time. Um, in the meantime, you can hang out with us in our community on our Discord channel, which is lovely and filled with lovely people. You can find the link to our Discord channel at our website, crateandcrowbar.com. Um, uh, if you have any uh, comments about the new format of the, um, the pod, um, uh, suggestions, for content, um, you might notice that we are not holding questions at the moment. Um, that's because we're thinking about new ways of presenting uh, listener-generated content. Um, because we definitely want you, our listeners, to um, play a part in um, in our pods. But um, we're trying to figure out exciting and new ways of doing it. And if you've got good ideas for that uh, or commentary, uh, you can send it to us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. Um, we are on Twitter at Crate and Crowbar. You can also listen to the show on on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Crate and Crowbar. There on our channel, you'll also find our various spin-off projects, um, which, 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 which are various and, and Marsh stars in a lot of them. The Crate and Crowbar is cr- kindly funded by our Patreon backers. Uh, if you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, you can uh, visit it at patreon.com slash Creighton Crowbar. Um, that's it. Um, I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Marsh Davis. Thanks for listening. Everybody. Bye.